0: Welcome to the Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of King of the Hill. My name is Dustin Wall.
1: While in the clubhouse, I go by Lays with Beave. My name is Denim Wall, and
2: my clubhouse title is Smoking Dart. And my name is Miles Tierney. While in the clubhouse, I go by Chief Runs with Bins. What you're about to hear
0: is a recording of clips... Music, enthusiasm, and idiocy from inside the Order of the Straight Arrow Clubhouse.
1: Beginning with the pilot, we will accompany you through a rewatch of all King of the Hill episodes in order of production code, or in other words, in the order they appear on the DVDs. Hulu lists the episodes in order of the original air date. If you are starting this podcast because of the recent edition of King of the Hill, we are sorry. We are still going in order of the DVDs. As well, we are Canadian. Hulu sucks and does not exist
2: in the Great White North. The reason the Order of the Straight or Reformed was for us to meet up in our clubhouse, drink some beers, and chat about King of the Hill and anything else that may interest us. So you may be asking yourself, what is the purpose of this podcast? We want to be a companion or a supplement to you as you watch the series yourself for a deeper look into all the goings-on of Rainy Street.
0: So whether you follow along with the series or not, we will be here, going over every episode, talking about what interested us, what may interest you, plus whatever useless information we feel is relevant at the time. So let's get straight into episode one, the pilot.
1: We met <laughs> That is
0: the tempo. All right, everybody, let's sit down. Let's chill out. Let everybody take your seats. Everybody's accounted for. Uh, Nice to see you all here. Glad to see the women let you out of the house, eh? Um, Welcome to the inaugural meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow, our very first. Uh, Glad to see the turnout here is three people. So let's start us off. My name is Dustin Wall a.k.a. Lays with Beave, a.k.a. the Troop Scout Leader. My primary role in the clubhouse is to lead and mediate our meetings, mainly because I'm the only one who knows how to work the equipment. I like to think of myself as the unbiased opinion within the clubhouse, as I have not seen more than a handful of King of the Hill episodes, Um, so I apologize in advance if I ask any stupid questions, but hopefully some of you out there are just as clueless as I am.
1: I'm Denim Wall. Around here, I am known as Smoking Dart. My role in the clubhouse as historian includes episode and personnel information, as well as making sure all membership fees are paid up to date and that all field trip permission slips are signed and handed in. I've been a casual King of the Hill fan for as long as I can remember. My friends have always had the DVDs, and I would watch a lot of the show because my group of friends really love it. I'm quite sure I've seen most of the episodes, at least up to season six, and probably lots beyond that, um, but I'm really excited to go through the show from start to finish and document it.
2: And I am the friend with the DVDs. My name is Miles Tierney. At the clubhouse, I go by Chief Runs with Bins. My role in the clubhouse is the Keeping It Real consultant. That basically means I bring the beer and I do not leave until every drop is drank. Being (laughs) born and raised on The Simpsons, it was only natural for me on Sunday nights to watch what preceded The Simpsons. It did not take long for me to be instantly, be just as enamored by King of the Hill as I was by The Simpsons. I've never looked back once and the rest is history.
0: Well, now that you know a little bit about us, let's get this meeting underway with the Straight Arrow Oath. Historian, do you want to lead it?
1: If you're in a scout uniform, let's have a three-finger salute. If you're in civilian clothes, please place your hand over your heart and repeat after me. A straight arrow always tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow never plays lawyer ball.
2: And a straight arrow is always against Bill H.R. 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane.
0: Can I get a round table Wima Tanya? <laughs> Just a disclaimer before we start, we listened to the first couple episodes, and they were definitely not good enough to show you guys, so we retconned it a bit, and added in some commentary after the fact, so anytime you hear this noise, it means we're back in the editing bay, talking about whatever these idiots just said.
1: (laughs) this is the first episode it came out in 1997 it's just entitled pilot written by mike judge and greg daniels mike judge is known previously for beavis and butthead and office space greg daniels is known for working on the simpsons season five six and seven and this episode along with many many other episodes is directed by wes archer
3: All right, and a quick plot summary of this pilot episode. So one day after his son Bobby receives a black eye from a baseball game, Hank is heard raising his voice at the Megalomart, and some women come to suspect Hank abuses his son. Word of mouth gets around, and soon Hank finds himself under investigation by a skinny, neurotic social worker.
2: Who the fuck was that? That guy sounds
0: fucking fucking crazy, man. (laughs) So for those listening at home, that was... Lucas, Corn, Colvin.
1: Free beer. Most notably, the tip of the spear.
0: That's that's very correct. So if you hear his voice, uh, that's who he is. He's not with us currently today. We're missing him. He's, he's lost. But you'll find out more about that in episodes to come.
2: We have the cold opening uh, before the credits. It starts with an opening pan uh, overlooking Arlen. It kind of gives a look into the bland... Uh, painfully suburban uh, existence that Arlen is it's based on actually dallas uh, suburbs garland and richardson texas it's actually um uh, a very slow uh opening greg daniels talks in the commentary about how they were worried about how slow it was but it's it kind of it's maybe it's hard to get used to but it was uh it sums the show up pretty well i think, I
1: think it sets the pace really well for this this entire show i think
0: Absolutely I agree it's very slow mundane comedy and and the jokes are are made about the everyday life and it's not it's funny how they make it a cartoon but really none of it really needs to be animated yeah.
2: the first uh, dialogue that we have besides them su- having suggestions for Hank's broken truck is Boomhauer asking the rest of them if they watched a Seinfeld episode <laughs> last night and there's a reason why they threw that in there
1: they put that in there just so th- you guys knew that these were uh contemporary yokels they weren't it wasn't set in the past it was set in present day and they did a lot of the same things as you guys for the longest time i've seen this episode countless times and i always laugh at that uh the fix it again tony joke
2: (laughs) dale that's (laughs) a fiat
1: (laughs) (laughs) but uh what i didn't uh what i didn't pick up on until this most recent watch through was the uh was the line that Hank says
3: But I'll tell you what my truck really needs leadership. Detroit
0: hadn't felt any real pride since George Bush went to Japan and vomited on their auto executive.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I uh I did some research on this and uh it it seems that back in January eighth, nineteen ninety two, George Bush this is George Bush Senior, of course, went over to Japan to have a dinner with the Prime Minister, Kichi Miyazawa, in uh, and and I guess he had some bad sushi. If you wanted to watch the video, it's called "Bad Sushi" on YouTube, and he just pukes into the like faints and pukes in the lap of the Prime Minister of Japan, and uh, this this actually got um, this got really famous in Japan as like a as just like a public, like, uh, talk, like, a comedian joke, like, in Japan, it was...
2: So, care to elaborate on exactly what comedians do? (laughs) Do Do they They make jokes? They're
1: jokesters. They joke around. I don't know. I guess the word I was looking for might have been meme.
2: Did they take it as like some serious disrespect or, or did they find the humor in it?
1: I uh, Well, they invented a phrase that is commonly used around the time in Japan that goes, bushu suru, which means do the bush thing. <laughs> which basically
2: means vomit all over me.
1: <laughs>
2: Sounds like a regular Saturday night around here. <laughs> and uh, the last little bit of dialogue before we get into the. Um, into the, the opening theme there. I, I really loved how Boomer goes, dang old, dang old New York, boy, just a show about nothing. And then the, the intro song by The
1: Refreshments comes on called Yahoos and Triangles. It was uh, written by Roger Klein. Um, he's the lead singer and guitar player for The Refreshments. They're a pretty rockin' 90s band. I kinda. I've been listening. I never really listened to them before, besides like knowing this song, and uh, they rock. I like them. Yeah. So, but uh, some background info on how they actually got the uh, job to make the theme song. So I guess they just their agent heard that they had there was like a, a call out for bands to record a song and send it in, and their agent thought it would be a good idea. They didn't know that it was such a good idea, but Buddy had a riff, and they came up with it. They actually wanted words, and they didn't send them words. The
0: only word they chose to send was Yahoo. Yeah,
1: it works. It, it,
2: it works. Oh, it's uh, it's such a fitting intro, and it, it works so perfectly.
1: They wrote the song, and then they played a show live in, uh, I think it was in Arizona, their home, t- home state, where they recorded this song on a, just a cassette recorder. And asked the audience to cheer as if it was the best song they had ever heard. Oh, yeah. Before they played the song, they asked them that. And then they sent the tape in and forgot to cut that part out. So then Mike Judge and Greg Daniels uh, phoned them up and started, like, berating them on the phone about, like, we're a Hollywood studio. You think you could send us and curry our favor? <laughs> and I guess, like, he was like, no, we're just kidding. We love it. Um... Fun fact, Dustin, the original drummer for the band The Refreshments, his name is Dustin Denham.
0: No. (laughs) But that's our names.
1: That's our names, yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, his last name's
1: Denham. His first name's Dustin.
0: And my name's Dustin. Your name's Denham. It's crazy. That's
1: that's wild. (laughs) It's insane. Spelled the same too. Jesus. I thought that was going to be a whole lot more interesting than it turned out to be
0: this brings us to the episode start where the actual content of the episode comes in. And uh, I thought it was impressive that this early on, they're already introducing Bobby's overall wants as a character. It's kind of subtle, but I picked up on it. I have never actually seen King of the Hill start to finish before, but I do know that Bobby has a huge passion for comedy. And the first scene where he interacts with his father is Bobby listening to a tape of prank call fart jokes. And Hank listens in and obviously doesn't approve.
3: Yeah, and he, he listens, doesn't approve, and he says, that boy ain't right. And uh, if you've seen this show previous, you know that that boy ain't right is a line that's repeated multiple times. It's very significant to the series. So this is the first time that that happened.
1: I, I took, from this episode particularly, I took I took Hank's perspective away. And you have that scene with Bobby, and then immediately when he closes the door, walks down the hall, he walks in on Luann in the bathroom. I think that that really emphasized his discomfort inside of his own house, and uh, really questioned if he is truly the king of the hill.
2: Absolutely. With, with with these uh these two scenes, it happens very quickly that we that we notice that Hank and Bobby are on two different planets, and that Bobby is not the son that Hank ever imagined he would be. He's not an all American straight shooter like Hank was, and having Luan move into his den, which we never actually in you know barely ever see in the series, his, his den it, it's clear to see that it was his uh, his sanctuary at one point and now Hen's living in there and she dresses kind of slutty and he doesn't know how to deal with it and he for some reason because she's not a blood relative you know he goes it's my wife's brother's kid you know that's what he refers to her as which is just like <laughs> fucking weird and then he just it's basically that his house is no longer his fortress you know it's no longer hank's house anymore that's why he spends so much time in the alley and you know doing these monotonous things with the boys to get away from things that he doesn't understand
1: it's funny about Luann moving in with them. I uh I really like that dynamic of like having a cousin live with uh your family. I I know a lot of friends that have just like cousins are basically like brothers or sisters to them. It's a very real family uh topic that King of the Hill mm-hmm. is the well there's not many shows out there that aren't just the nuclear family. It's mm-hmm.
2: Hank wants a nuclear family. Yeah, and he, these things keep being thrust upon him that he can't control.
1: And these kind of things are the families of our generation. Like
2: this is it's, how it's people
1: lived it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's completely normal. And Luann brings this element that the show absolutely needed because Bobby makes Hank uncomfortable, but it's it simply wasn't enough. And what comes with Luann is we come with her, her, you know, her hilarious personality. But it also brings in Buckley, who we meet later on.
1: Yeah, so that whole bit is where they take Bobby to the baseball game, and Bobby gets a black eye because he's paying attention to Hank, who's micromanaging him from the sideline. Mm-hmm.
2: And before we even get to the baseball game itself, we're in the car ride there, and Hank is telling Bobby, you know, to give 110%. And Bobby cannot, for the life of him, understand how he could give more than 100%. And it illustrates that Bobby's, like, clear, just like, He's not into playing sports. He doesn't have a clue what it is. He doesn't care if his team wins or loses. He just wants to have fun and pick daisies in the outfield.
1: Exactly.
2: And, yeah, Bobby is up at the plate, and Hank is... Or, no, he's at first base. No, he's at the plate. He's at the first base. Remember, the ball hits his bat oh, yeah, and yes, rolls yes. like four feet, and Hank goes, run! Yeah. <laughs> so Bobby's at first base, and like what you just mentioned, Hank is trying to micromanage him on how to get to home get to home plate, and Bobby is looking at his dad while a line drive clocks him right in the eye. and like, He flips up up in the air like like scorpions, reverse scorpions, and, and the next scene, they're in the truck driving home, but Hank has to make a stop. At the Megalomart. At the Megalomart, he needs some WD forty and a tap and die set, and that's when we're introduced to Buckley. Before he's Luann's Buckley, he's just another a citizen of Arlen who doesn't. We're assuming
1: that he. I mean, we assume later with later knowledge that he is currently dating Luann, but I guess Hank doesn't know this at the time.
2: Yeah, that's fair. To, that's fair to assume that they're they're dating because it it's not long afterwards exactly. in the series, and yeah, Hank just gets completely frustrated. F- First of all, he doesn't even like shopping at the Megalomart. He hates the Megalomart. He wants to go to like, you know, Larry's hardware store. But and the, I
1: hate Walmart too.
2: Yeah, everybody does. It's annoying. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And this is where Hank Hank leads us. Yeah.
1: And yeah, and and, and with Bobby being misbehaving, like he this is the first episode. And I just kinda wanna mention that it seems like an odd first episode. Maybe this is the direction the show was gonna take, but Hank's anger towards his son is never this pronounced, and ha- and uh, as is Bobby's like mischief is never this. Like he's not the Bart Simpson who just wants to rebel. Bobby always strike me as the kid who wants to do his dad proud, but just can't.
2: He just doesn't understand it, and yeah, exactly what you're saying that. This is a, a storyline that does not continue past the pilot because Bobby rarely crosses his father at home, let alone in public, hitting him with I can't remember what it is. Like it's you know, I think it's
1: like a like a cardboard tube. Yeah, or he yeah he's
2: whacking Hank with it while he's trying to talk to the brain dead Buckley, and that's <laughs> that's just that would never ever fly past the pilot episode and of
1: course because he has a black eye and because hank is upset all around as we've mentioned already like luann's in his house uh the truck is broken his uh son is misbehaving his socks at baseball all these things and buckley's an idiot so hank is overseen being visibly upset with his son who has a black eye and this has spread like wildfire throughout the got like the ladies gossiping in town about how Hank has threatened him with a hammer and yeah, all
2: this. There's just some citizens of Ireland, some women that are shopping there in the same aisle, and they overhear Hank yelling at Buckley, saying that he's fired. I think he yells at Bobby too. Bobby has a very pronounced deep purple black eye, and it just leads the, the gossip community to start talking that Hank is abusing his son. <laughs> Now for a new segment in our meeting, the tip of the spear. Okay, listeners, this is our first installment of the tip of the spear. Just like I was, you will probably find yourself scratching your head and wondering, "What the fuck is he saying?" To put it simply, it's just our very own conspiracy nut relating to Ireland's homegrown conspiracy nut, and here he is. Take it away, Dale Gribble.
0: What? That's code for U.N. commissars telling Americans what temperature it's going to be in our outdoors. I say let the world warm up. See what Boutros Boutros golly golly thinks about that. We'll grow oranges in Alaska.
3: All right, ladies and gentlemen, so strap yourselves in and keep your arms in the vehicle at all times because we're about to go down a bit of a rabbit hole. So if you don't know who Boutros Boutros Ghali is, is he was an Egyptian politician and diplomat who was the sixth secretary general of the United Nations from January 1992 to December 1996. He oversaw the UN at a time when it was dealing with the breakup of Yugoslavia, rest in peace Yugoslavia, and the Rwandan genocide, which over a million people were killed. Now, why why this guy is important to Dale's conspiracy about the weather and why it's getting hotter is the Heart Project. And Heart Project stands for High Frequency Active Aurora Research Program. It's funded by the Air Force and Navy in an Alaskan University and the DARPA Project. And uh, basically what the Heart Project does is it shoots a bunch of high-frequency waves into the ionosphere and it uses... These waves to manipulate the weather. Okay, so wait, what,
0: wait, wait, back up. Where does it shoot the waves?
3: It shoots the waves into the ionosphere, which I guess is in the air somewhere. To just you have to suspend a little bit of disbelief here. You just you can't you can't ask too many questions. <laughs> okay. You cannot. So what they do is is they shoot all these waves into the into the ionosphere to manipulate the weather. And there this ha- has really happened. You, you look at examples in Dubai, and you look at examples of military ramifications in which they could you know theori- theoretically flood their enemies with. Massive amounts of water, or ruin their crops with a bunch of you know sun. And uh, just uh, closing here, Butch Boutros Ghali died at 93 years old, and uh, he was also referenced in an episode of Seinfeld about Kramer. It is also worth noting that after Boutros Boutros' first term, he ran unopposed for his customary second term in 1996. But after pressure from Madeleine Albright and the U.S. in terms of the failure to act in the Rwandan genocide, he became the only secretary general to ever be denied a second term by veto.
1: Is his name Boutros or is his name Boutros Boutros? Like, what's his first name? I think I actually have a
2: clip. His name be none other than my man, Boutros, 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 (laughs) Gali.
1: Okay, well, that really clears it up for me, thanks. It's already
0: 110 in the summer. And if it gets one degree hotter, I'm going to kick your ass.
2: So, the next scene after this, we can see Hank um, noticeably pissed off. He's still back working on his track. This time, it's the alternator that he's, uh, he's trying to take apart. Uh, he's got Dale holding the flashlight. For him Dale gets distracted I can't remember by what And he moves the flashlight Hank hollers at him to You know Hollers at him With the light His arm slips He falls into the engine bay uh, The hood slams down upon him Dale scurries Like a little scared girl Back to his house And uh, Great physical comedy Oh it, it's hilarious but Yeah so then uh, Then we see Anthony Make it to the Hills house He comes in He asks if he can come inside He, he, he announces he's a social worker For the state So he's already mid Uh well, Who's Anthony? Anthony Twigboy. He's Twigboy. Oh, Twigboy. That's, that's his real name. Can so, we stop
1: calling him Anthony? It's funny.
2: I like it. It's, <laughs> it's a funny name. I didn't think they were going to pick Anthony. But anyway, Hank comes in just absolutely livid about the noise that Bobby's making and the fact that the hood slammed down on him. And then Peggy goes, okay, Hank, we have a visitor. And this is when the um, the real uh, interrogation begins between the, uh, the state and uh, the Hill family.
0: And that exchange between Anthony and Hank basically sums up the entire plot of the episode. But what I found was interesting is while that this interview is happening, the guys have gathered outside Hank's truck and Dale has taken it upon himself to fix his alternator problem, but instead he cuts the brake lines.
1: No, he didn't. That shot actually got Wes Archer the job as the director of the series for King of the Hill because they went, they brought the pilot to a few different directors. And when it came to that from the bottom of the truck with the engine in the foreground and Dale coming in to the truck, Mm -hmm. many directors said that that was impossible and they wouldn't even attempt it. And they didn't, they wanted their own ideas for that. And when Wes Archer came in with like his drawings of how it would work they were just so impressed that they gave him the job
0: yeah that's actually very interesting um what else was interesting is that after hank gives his speech to anthony about what's important to him uh he gets overwhelmed and he has to stop and uh he asked peggy honey bring me my bc headache powder and a glass of water and that stuck out to me i was like what's bc headache powder like i thought Headache medicine came in pill form only Uh, And I guess uh, BC Powder is Manufactured in Memphis, Tennessee And it's actually quite a popular Brand down there, it's it's actually Developed a cult following uh, And it's apparently Fantastic uh, But the southern uh, league of baseball the double a college ball down south actually is sponsored by bc relief powder and they have a bc relief pitcher of the month that is sponsored every month and uh, i thought that was actually hilarious hey baby how about a couple of beers Sorry, should gotta go. I got another migraine treatment with John Redcorn.
2: So now the next scene, it's Anthony has moved to the neighbor's houses, uh, trying to get get an answer between why or an answer why Bobby's got his black eye, and we're first of all we're introduced to uh, Dale's way too hot for him wife Nancy, and she goes on her uh, another healing. Uh, treatment with uh, Mr. John Redcorn
0: Nancy you've been going to that Healer for 12 years and you still Get headaches every
2: night So we see uh, Mr. John Redcorn show up And it is the probably the funniest And most endearing joke From King of the Hill about how it's Blatantly obvious to every single person That Nancy is cheating on Dale with John Redcorn The only person who doesn't know is, is Dale And we see Nancy uh, Very happily uh, Jog out to uh, John Redcorn's uh, tan colored Jeep Wrangler and of course he is Blasting Hot-Blooded by Foreigner. And let's talk about Foreigner for a second, shall we? I've been kind of waiting, I've been waiting all afternoon to talk about Foreigner. And Hot-Blooded reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100 in September 1978. And this single was also certified platinum. But what more to it is is that the writers and the creators of the show picked this song for a very clear reason. Now, if I may, I will recite a few lyrics <laughs> from Hot-Blooded by Foreigner. Here it goes. Now it's up to you. We can make a secret rendezvous. Just me and you, I'll show you lovin' like you never knew.
1: <laughs>
2: Man, that got me a little hot-blooded. i am got a three-quarter chub just year in it.
1: It is, it is funny how Dale... Is so up on conspiracy theories And never looking at the He always looks so deep into it But he just can't tell that his son Is Native American (laughs) Yeah when he
0: first came onto the screen I laughed The (laughs) hardest of the entire
2: episode
1: I, I bet if Nancy uh, tried some of Hank's BC headache powder, she wouldn't have
2: ever <laughs> needed to get into this mess. And I think once again they nailed something right right off the bat that a a, a, a you know a typical conspiracy theorist is kind of delusional, and it's, it's like what you just mentioned. It's quite apparent that Till doesn't even understand what's going on in his own household.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Like I think he's uh, he's delusional, and uh, what what comes with that and being a conspiracy theorist is often it's very easily to miss the truth that's right in front of your eyes. The most obvious thing, and it's pretty obvious that his kid, Joseph, is not actually his son.
1: I love that it's this early in the show that they've introduced these ideas. Like, It's not a show that just made it up as it went along. Like right from this first episode, like even down to having Buckley at Megalomart, like King of the Hill has been really good at planting those seeds that we will talk about in later episodes.
2: Absolutely. And listening to the commentary, uh, Greg Daniels mentioned that they had to write or they had to basically create all 12 episodes of the first season before any of them aired. So they didn't know how anyone was going to react to these jokes as what he says is we didn't know if we were going to be good or not how the audiences would react to it. And, uh, yeah, it is such a bold move for an animated show to put this, uh, you know, this love triangle in. And uh, and it's so funny how, how they cover up. I think at one point during later on in the series, uh, Nancy makes claim that Jill, uh, Dale has a Jamaican grandmother. And that's, in fact, the reason why Joseph is clearly a Native American.
1: <laughs> I like how she says Dale has one and not herself. like <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I I think Nancy's got some guilt that she doesn't want uh, to admit to, but after after these scenes we g- we do get the first introduction of Joseph and Dale. Dale says to Anthony that uh go ask my son, he's uh, he's Bobby's best friend and nothing really comes from it. And uh it, it leads to a Bobby and Joseph uh having a discussion about Anthony being there and Hank or Bobby goes some weird guy came by and uh, Joseph uh gives him a brief runaround of what happened and then <laughs> Bobby impersonates his dad, which is something that isn't seen very often.
1: Get out of my house, my boy. Ain't much, but he's all I got.
2: <laughs> so we hear Bobby say that, and it's just another uh, another very good uh, entrance to uh, to plot, plot lines in the in the future of the show in the pilot episode because it it's it very clearly is that Bobby is very aware that he is nothing that Hank wants him to be, and it's you can tell that just him talking about it to his best friend really bothers him. And uh, something else I noticed is that when Bobby's
0: doing his impression, he says, my boy ain't much, but Hank actually didn't say that in the scene, so I believe that's something subconsciously that Bobby's put in to to sum up the, his dad's disapproval of himself.
1: Bobby understands that he's not making his dad proud by listening to fart noises on his cassette player or failing it to play baseball the way that Hank would like him to play, and I mean, as the series goes on, there's going to be countless times where Bobby is disappointing his father, but yeah, no, he understands exactly what how his dad feels. It's not a it's not a secret.
0: Yeah, this uh, this series actually introduces itself in a really uh, beautiful way because us as an audience are coming into it without any idea of the dynamic of these characters as does Anthony, and so Anthony is introduced as kind of like us and interviewing each character and seeing what they're all about. And the funniest interview I found was Boomhauers.
3: I've been calling y'all people better than a month now. grab right back about y'all every time a dang old dog cross, he started yapping his jaw 24 hours a day, and nobody answered. You called are you supposed to come out and do anything about that dog? If you're just going to get a dang old computer, and going to come
2: over here and just shut that dang old dog up. As <laughs> we see, this is Anthony. He's moved on from the Gribbles house without getting really any info that he wants. So he moves on to the other neighbors and he goes to Boomhauer's. And Boomhauer's probably the smartest, most savvy guy out of the guys, but he talks so fucking fast nobody can understand him.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, I'm not sure how you guys watch this, but how exactly did the subtitles handle uh, like Boomhauer's speaking? Did they actually explicitly say what he was saying or did they kind of just gloss over it and just say indistinct? I, th- I think if I put
2: subtitles on my TV, would probably catch on fire <laughs> That's definitely would <laughs> be some serious legs. Uh, fair point. Uh, Let's talk pretty I, quickly. I, I don't think uh, they would even be able to comprehend what Mr. Uh, Mr. Boomhauser is saying.
1: <laughs> Mama's in jail. She was saving a quart of
0: beer for before bed and Daddy threw it out and she went after him with a fork and the trailer tipped over and everything went upside down and it's all gonna be on real stories of the highway patrol and the wig.
1: I styled for Beauty Academy is ruined.
3: So uh, just touching back to the real stories of the Highway Patrol there, um, I was curious enough to actually see if that was a real show, and I'm very thrilled that I did because it was a real show. It was a half-hour syndicated TV series which ran in the United States for six seasons from 1993 to 1998 for a total of 780 episodes, so about 130 episodes in a season. Now, the show is uh, basically a knockoff of uh, shows like Cops. It was based off the uh, similar success, but it has uh, the segments reenacted. Uh, like shows uh, similar to America's Most Wanted. And another interesting fact about uh, this show that I found out after I had watched a bunch of episodes of it, it's absolutely fantastic, was uh, the show was also spoofed in a segment featured on the Beavis and Butthead episode, Dream On, and it was called The True Stories of the Highway Patrol, and Beavis dreamt that he was on the show hitting people with his nightsticks. So I think that perhaps Mike Judge is a big fan of this television show.
1: Other that or is it from Texas?
3: I think it's all southern. The majority of the episodes that I saw were based in North Dakota. Although they went through a couple different places. How many so episodes
2: I don't know. did you watch?
3: I watched about 4 episodes. It was a it was good a good couple of hours. Oh, it's 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 just that really dank low budget 90s true crime stuff. It is fantastic.
2: When the fuck is that coming on Netflix? I could go over some North Dakota <laughs> drama right about
3: now. I
1: love Fargo. This
3: is the state social services. We're calling off our investigation of your father. The workers that visited you will be leaving the office and going back to L.A.
1: Yeah, so Bobby finds this message on his, answer, on his family's answering machine and fails to relay the message towards the rest of the family. So taking full advantage of his father's fear of child services, Bobby raises hell for the next week.
0: So once Peggy realizes that the investigation has been called off, Uh, She visits Bobby in his room, who explains to her his thinking on how Hank doesn't love his son. Uh, Peggy takes this information and goes to Hank with it and tells him that the investigation has been called off and that their son doesn't feel like Hank loves him. And Hank, uh, Hank uses his childhood as kind of a defense as to why he treats Bobby the way he does.
3: So in the next scene, uh, we're treated to a flashback to Hank's childhood, and we're introducing to one of the, uh, another one of the most pivotal characters throughout this entire series, and that's Hank's father, Cotton, and um, Hank's father uh, has a bit of a history of being somewhat abusive to him, a bit, you know, loud and angry at him, and it speaks a lot to the, uh, the father and son uh, dynamic throughout the entire show. And, like, that was a... It's just a brief snippet of what Colin's all about, but it was very
2: necessary for the writers to put him in the pilot because he's such a, a pivotal role and he has so much influence on why Hank is the way that he is. And I'd like, just like to move on to something I was a little perplex, perplexed about, uh, sorry, after Bobby uh, or Peggy confronts Bobby about that for the last week they've known that the investigation has to be over. And she she brings this news to Hank and at first he says, I'm going to kill him. And then she goes, well, no, just hold on. Uh, Bobby legitly thinks that you don't love him all the time and this is what he liked and I personally think it's fucking bullshit because that montage you see him just absolutely like ruining his dad's life you know he's just fucking with him everything that he cares about at one point he's jumping around him in a circle with the garden hose spraying him with the hose saying you can't do nothing like I don't think that had anything to do with Bobby Not. I think Bobby's just pretty quick on his feet and realized that that would get him out of all the trouble
1: yeah you think he's but yeah, I think I think I agree with you that he's playing the guilt game
2: pretty hard. He's totally just being sly, and he's you know there's no way like maybe like it does get pretty heartfelt at the end of it, and I do think there's some truth to that. But that's like I don't I don't think that was a true uh, reflection of what Bobby was doing to his dad. There, he was just taking advantage and you know taking plus his...
1: just to be critical of it, I don't actually think any of the feelings that Hank showed towards Bobby as a result of these past few weeks. Were because of, like, looked like love. I should say
2: no, whatsoever. No, no, whatsoever.
0: So let's go around the table and how did everybody feel about the episode? Denim, you want to start us off?
1: I thought for a pilot, for the pilot episode of King of the Hill, I thought this was great. It they planted some seeds really early. They introduced all the characters, all, like the best way. The only thing I maybe would have changed uh, is. Just the actual storyline, um, it's about Hank getting angry, and as far as the viewer knows, if this is the first time you've ever seen the show, you don't actually know what Hank's like, because if he really is angry all the time, then this this doesn't seem that um, believable. But having watched the show, I don't feel like Hank comes from a center of anger, most of the time, where this episode may it's it's a little harder to believe that he doesn't because he does fly off the handle so early in the episode. Um, but besides that, I, I think it's all I think it all works really
3: well. So uh, my thoughts on the episode, and um, this isn't the first time that I've watched it, but I'm not overly familiar with the series as uh, a couple of you guys are. But I thought it was a very strong pilot episode, and I thought that the biggest strength, in my opinion, of it. Um, apart from just the introduction of the characters, was also um, the introduction of Arlen. It wasn't ex- uh, specifically localized to the to the uh, Hill residence, so you got to go to the baseball diamond, you got to see Lamar come into play, and the uh, the social worker's office, and there's a flashback. Like, I thought there was a good variety to the episode. I thought the comedy was uh, very good, and I thought the, c- the characters were very well uh, fleshed out, and I thought the whole family dynamic was brought forth in a... Uh, in a very appropriate way it's very believable mm-hmm. I think I agree with what uh, what both you guys are putting down and
2: uh my belief is that a pilot episode is never usually a true reflection of what the show is actually about but um King of the Hill um Mike Judge and Greg Daniels did a very job of uh, outlining uh, key plot line plot outlines that are going to run through the show for the remainder of its you know of its existence and um you know it's uh, even the animation is a little rougher compared to uh you know what we're normally to see and uh There wasn't a ton from uh, some very uh, main characters, but it's a 22-minute pilot. You can only do so much, and uh, I thought, personally, that they did a very good job. Yeah, definitely
0: with your point about their uh, setup for the rest of the season, I've actually never seen King of the Hill before. I've only seen episodes here and there, and I actually haven't seen this first episode, and uh, I was really impressed with uh, how much they actually laid out about the characters in the amount of time that they had. So I'm really excited to see more dynamic with Dale and his wife. That's a setup I want to see. Uh, I definitely think Boomhauer is my favorite character so far, definitely. Um, and uh, I really was impressed that they even got out uh, like character development within the family. Like I, I felt right away, I know what every character's kind of about and uh, where they're coming from and what they want to achieve by the end of the season or by the end of the series.
1: Part of the reason I'm excited to do this podcast is to introduce King of the Hill to you, because um, as we've talked about, I'm somewhat of a fan. Miles is a much larger fan. Corn's not as much, but uh, but you've barely even seen the show. Yeah, Justin, I'm, I'm so a that's,
2: virgin set of eyes.
1: That's exciting to to have your take as this goes as we go through this process.
2: Yeah, I'm already I'm already excited to see what what he thinks about it. I wish I could go back and have never seen the show before and just fall in love with it once again. And uh, for those of you that are a little confused that are listening, Corn is in fact Lucas. <laughs> that is his nickname. And it, we we're accidentally going to let it slip. He's also the tip of the spear. He has, yeah. He's the local hothead. <sighs> okay. I love you no matter what you do there.
0: Phew. Let's go get something to eat. All right. Thank you, listener, for sticking around for the first meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow. And that brings our first episode, the first episode of King of the Hill, and the first meeting to a close. And I know this was a bit of a patchy episode, kind of pieced together. I'm happy that we went over it one more time. It definitely needed that final polish as we were...
2: We're new. We're still polishing. But as the series develops, so does our podcast, and yeah, just thanks to anybody that's listening.
0: Before we sign off, I'd like to close out with a final roundtable. We Matanya. We Matanya. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.
2: Thanks for the latte, Kenneth.
0: Want to hear more Order of the Straight Arrow? Join the conversation on Twitter.
1: At Utsakothpod. Or follow us on Instagram.
2: At Utsakothpod. Or look for us on Facebook at Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast.
1: Catch new episodes every Sunday night. Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact
0: us by email at utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please. No hate mail. Yeehaw! Hey, what you crying for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.